Good morning and greetings one more time in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's a very lovely day here in the United Kingdom, like a Barbados summer's day. We give God thanks for this day. It is a day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Before I commence on this teaching here, two other churches here, which are Philadelphia and Laodicea. I'll just have a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this beautiful day and another privilege that we have through your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has accomplished for us at Calvary, his finished work there. And as these teachings will come to us now, I pray that you will bless them. Your Holy Spirit will minister to every need through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are looking today, as I said, at the last two churches um, that John was given letters to send to. And the sixth church is Philadelphia. The sixth message was sent to the church in Philadelphia. This church was weak, but wonderful. Surprise, amazing, and filled with wonder. The Lord did not utter any rebuke to them, but only praise. This church had overcome ritualism, which is a prescribed form of religious worship. Uh, governed by a set of rules for worship and legalism. This is a strict adherence to the law or conformity to religious law as a ground of salvation. For example, in the Anglican church, people are confirmed by a bishop due to vows made for them when they were baptized as babes giving them the impression that they are saved, that they're Christians. Um, it is not when my I was made a Christian when my name was given, one of God's dear children and an heir of heaven. That's a hymn that we used to sing in our morning worship when I was a young schoolboy going to school at St. Luke's Boys School in Barbados. Every morning we have worship, and that was one of the hymns that we used to sing. But it is not like that. This church was given a fresh vision of the Lord as he revealed to them his attributes, his resources, and his prerogatives. Those things that belongs to the Lord are his attributes, his riches, his wealth. You can depend on him for support. That's his resources. Without him, we don't have food on our table because he sends the rain and it makes the tree bud, we are told in God's word, and it brings forth fruit, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. The Lord acts at his own unrestricted discretion. It is his right to do what he wants. And there's no one on this earth, it doesn't matter how powerful men may think they are, that can question God. Well, question him if you want, but I don't know that you'll get an answer as you really would love him to give you such an answer. God can do as he please. 
because he's almighty. Not that he's, um, you know, the sort of God that is ready to wipe everybody off the face of the earth. He's loving and he's merciful and compassionate and forgiving. When he opens a door, no man can shut it. And when he closes the door, no man can open it. They were under his control. That's the church in Philadelphia. He knew their works and he had set before them an open door which no one could shut. That's in the scriptures. That's um, chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. The Lord saw their weakness and also their willingness. Even though they were weak, yet they were willing. That's something, you know, um, sometimes you don't find it in some of us. Weak, but yet willing. We rather, you know, want to give up and lie down and call it a day. But this church in Philadelphia wasn't like that. They were still willing, you know, to do as God wanted them and God would have them to do. We usually want the Lord to open the door for us first, but he often says, be fearful and make the first move, then the door will be open. The Lord opens doors of opportunity for us. That's good chances sometimes, you know, come our way and we well, think nothing about it. Which no man or power on earth can shut. So when God opens a door, no man can really close that door. First, he opens the door to the kingdom and then other doors. For Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other doors. All these things will be added. Other things, many other things will be added unto you. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. The believers in the church in Philadelphia were feeble but fearful. They had little strength, but they kept God's word. However, there were some who were arrogant, they were haughty in spirit, and proud and far from the truth. Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, you'll read it there. There were an authoritative and ruling clique. This was a small group of persons with a common interest. Um, there were ungodly men in the church who had looked down with scorn on those who remain or the stayed true to the scriptures. That's the word of God. You know, you have some people that like to rule other people and tell you, you know, what to do, live your life. And when you don't sort of um, toe the line, uh, you don't go along with what they tell you. Well, they have a book, you know, to put you in it. We call it in Barbados the bad book or the black book. The Lord told the church that he would make the ungodly clique to come and worship at their feet. But you know something, even though this would be so, he, they were warned, you know, don't be boastful and proud about it and think to yourself that, you know, that you're better, you're perfect because that's in verse 9, because Romans 12, Paul talking to the church in Roman, in Rome, rather, in chapter 12, verse 3, you know, you shouldn't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but you think soberly according to the measure of faith that God has given to you in Galatians 6, 3. You see, we should learn to bear each other's burdens and learn to humble ourselves to one another. 
This church had kept the word of the Lord's patience, and he promised to keep them from the hour of temptation, which will come upon all who dwell on the earth. This promise is in relation to the great tribulation in future. People might think, you know, that we are in great tribulation period now because of the present climate of things, you know, the um, pestilence, you know, which is a deadly disease, they call it a virus that is sweeping not only one country, but countries the whole world over. There is no worse situation that, that will come on this earth as mentioned and in scripture than the one that will arise when the beast commences his reign. And that is the great tribulation period which begins in future. It is yet future. So, you know, the church was encouraged to be patient and stop murmuring. We hear a lot of murmurers, you know, and a lot of complainers, as it were, even during this time. But patience is to endure with calmness. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, and Luke 21, verse 19, you could read these scriptures and see what, you know, God's word is saying concerning patience. The church at large will be kept from that hour by the return of our Lord's second advent. That's his second coming. They were encouraged to hold fast to what they have and let no one take the crown. We too must hold fast to what we have and let no one take our crown. We who are Christians born again by God's spirit have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wicked men and women may come to power and defy God's throne, but he still has the final say over the actions. All situations, good or bad, are under God's control. The believers in the Philadelphian church had but a little strength. However, God's strength will be made perfect in their weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is when... Paul, you know, God had given him a thorn in the flesh. He said, uh, as a messenger of Satan to buffet him, he cried out to God Almighty, you know, three occasions or three times he prayed, but God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And therefore, it would seem as though Paul went on and he didn't worry, you know, to sort of um, prayer and murmur, you know, about it anymore. He just carried on and God gave him grace to carry on. God promised to make the overcomer a pillar in his temple. He would be solid, stable, and strong. That's the overcomer. He would have the name of God written upon him, the name of the city of God, which is New Jerusalem, and it comes down out of heaven from God. Jesus said he would write his new name upon the victorious believer. The church was urged to listen to what the Spirit was saying to them. The seventh church is Laodicea, and this is in the same Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. The seventh message was sent to the church in Laodicea. It would seem that this church had lapsed into a state of apostasy. That's the renouncing or disowning of the faith. There were Christians today, but tomorrow, 
No, they're no longer Christians. They just renounce the faith or they don't belong anymore. It had become fashionable. That is stylish and patronized by people of fashion. They love, you know, to fashion up themselves. Just like a lot of Christians today, they think, you know, that if they don't um, buy the most expensive garb to put on, well, you know, um, God is not pleased with them. As it were, that's not so. This church was lukewarm, moderately warm, that is lacking zeal in its interest and love toward the Lord. It is believed that the way in which the Lord introduced himself to this church seems to suggest it was not his church, but theirs. It had belonged to the Laodiceans, as it were. The Lord stood before this church, moved by a feeling of warmth, and at the same time mixed with scorn, that's disdain, yet with love, as he commenced his statement. These things saith the Amen. He is the all-prevailing one. He will not water down or falsify the truth. Our Lord sees through all the sham, the shallowness, the superficiality, the doubtfulness, and outward show of our lives. He is the faithful and true witness. He saw the church as moderately warm and tells it the truth about itself, yet he did it in love. Jesus says to this church that he is the beginning of God's creation. He was in charge of everything that was created and is created. Now, talking about he is the beginning of God's creation, you have one um, denomination, as it were, I don't know if I could call them church or Christians, as it were, they don't seem to think, you know, that they are, but they believe that that's um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, when the Bible speaks about Jesus Christ as being the first, the creation of God's, the beginning of God's creation, rather, that God made Jesus. You know, this is far from the truth. That's erroneous teaching. God never made Jesus because Jesus Christ is God. The Holy Ghost is God and the Father is God. There's not three gods, but one God. God you know, eternally existing, manifesting himself in three persons. That's what it all about. Not the, the three gods. The church had been led into error, into compromise, and had become neither one thing nor the other. It is likely that some of the members in the Laodicean church were allowed to sit in high places in the city council but their preaching and religious behavior were not accepted by the counselors because they didn't live their life. You see, to be accepted by the counselors, they say one thing and they live another. The believers wanted the best out of both worlds, and this can't happen. It's like what you would call straddling the fence, as it were, one foot in and one foot out. Can't make your mind up whether you're going to stay or go the present one and the one to come. That is the present world and the world that is to come. They find themselves in the right predicament, isn't it? 
This search had become complacent. In other words, they were self-satisfied and were seemingly ignorant of its condition. Hence the Lord's charge to them. They said they were rich, they had increased with goods, they had no need of anything, yet they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What a sorry state, isn't it? That they were really in and they couldn't see it. And that was spiritually speaking. Yes, of course they had a lot of money. You know, they were able to um, put up church buildings, not that that was the church. The building is not the church. You see, the church is the people. The building is only um, a house like, or some place as it were for people to go into. And as Christians, we need to understand this here. You see? So such was the church in Laodicea. They had everything. Of course, you, you know, there were rich people financially, literally, physically speaking. You know, um, they didn't have to wait upon anyone, you know, as far as the contemporaries were concerned. Now, John Phillips, in his commentary on Explain the Book of Revelation, says, and I quote, the church of Laodicea would want the, the president of the bank as head deacon. So they would choose the president of the bank, you know, where they had the money as the deacon. As treasurer, a big industrialist. So they were good for someone who is, you know, um, in, an industrialist who may be buying, selling, get gain, trading on the stock market and that sort of thing. You know, as secretary, a member of the Senate. Laodicea had everything a worldly church could desire. Influential men, no doubt, sat on its boards. Large accounts gave it prestige at the bank. Doubtless, it occupied the choicest location in town. What is that? Millionaire's Row, as it were, sort of thing. They had the best choir in Asia, and they summoned the most brilliant and eloquent of preachers to its pulpit and they boasted a considerable membership and had a well-oiled organization. Laodicea was a fashionable, worldly church, but it was powerless. Of course, you have, you know, some big audiences. Um, I don't think you have those sort of audiences here in this country, in the UK. But when you look on the television and you see them in the United States, there are uh, hundreds, there thousands, many thousands. 10, 20, 30, could be 40, odd thousands or more. Well, it's their church. And, you know, um, it's fashionable, isn't it? They have everything that they want. Um, technologically speaking, okay, that's good, but, you know, you have to listen carefully and find out for yourself and prove for yourself. Um, and you have to understand and know for yourself whether or not they're preaching the undiluted word of God. The church was popular. In other words, it was liked by many people. It was prosperous. It was striving. It was successful, doing very well. It was pragmatic. In other words, it was concerned with practical results. It was polished, polite and cultured and well-bred, you know, upmarket business sort of thing, and proud, a display of too much self-esteem, arrogant and haughty, but powerless. And you find a lot of these 
preachers today who have their own churches, you know, and their own ministries and uh, have millions, you know, every year, whether it is, um, I don't know, pounds and dollars. And um, you can't get near to them because there's an entourage, you know, as it were, and they have the jets to take them, you know, just a few miles up the road, but they love it and they enjoy it. Well, they say God has given it to them. Well, I don't know. That's the end of quote of John Phillips. The church was popular, very popular indeed. Eh? Everybody spoke about it and they loved that. They were liked by everybody. The Dyson Church was a pattern of the present day church. Of course it was. And we see today, isn't it, is a repetition. It is believed that some churches today are seeking escape from reality in a number of blind alleys, such as fundamentalism. This is correct in their faith and doctrine, but cold in their love and zeal for Christ. Exclusivism, they keep apart from society in general, they keep friendship among themselves only. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, is their watchword, and it means no contact with other believers, which is in error. I remember speaking with a Jehovah's Witness one day on Ayers Road. I was going to the shop, and I saw him, you know, the individual, and um, regular, you know, I would sort of um, have a word with him. But this day in question, it was a Saturday, and he's quoting scripture to me, you know. The Bible said, come ye out from among them. So therefore, God has called the Jehovah's Witnesses out from among other Christians. I don't know how God, in his infinite mercy and love for all humans, this world over, John 3, 16, you know, is the testimony of the entire Bible as far as I'm concerned. You take that out and you have nothing else. For God so loved the world that he gave. And the object the object of God's love was in giving his son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Life, that is, that does not and cannot and will never end because there's no end to it. That's what the Bible says and that's what it means, I believe. And this Jehovah's Witnesses chap was telling me, you know, they're the only ones that God has called, you know, unto himself and they must come out. If they come to your house and you invite them, you know, as a Christian believer, just like them, you know, they, I don't know if they're really preaching the good gospel of Jesus Christ as far as I'm concerned, you know, um, you invite them in for word of prayer, they won't come in. You invite them, you know, to your church worship, they won't come. But they like to invite you to, you know, the um, place of worship, you know, Jehovah's Kingdom Hall, as it were, to their conventions and such like. Well, I mean, I don't know God want Christians to sever one from another. Jesus said, you know, that we must love one another, and by this all men will know that we are his disciples. 
if we have love one to another, and he was speaking to his followers, the disciples, you know, they were Christians as it were. And we are commanded to love each other, not to draw away from one another, to pray one for another and to encourage one another. You see, I don't like to sort of um, encourage people to come and sit beside me when the Sunday come, as it were, because I go to church. You must come and sit beside me. No, you invite them to accept Christ. You invite them to Christ, not to um, the church, as it were. I mean, if they want to come, well, that's okay. But you see, I am not in that sort of business of inviting people just to come and sit down in church, even to listen to the word of God. You see, you invite them to accept Christ where they are. And any man can get saved. It doesn't matter where he is. God can reach any one of us. Let me push on. Ritualism also. This is a prescribed form of worship that is followed yearly. The practice or custom of doing something all the while. Rationalism. To rely on mere reason. Well, you know, God make me that I can reason out things. I have the ability. I can make decisions. I don't need anybody. A theory or general idea which makes reason the sole means of acquiring knowledge and of testing truth. Rationalism. They deny every important teaching of scripture from the birth of our Lord Jesus to his second coming. And don't talk about his death and resurrection because, you know, um, as it were, some would like to tell you that Jesus Christ didn't really die. You know, but the Bible speaks about it clearly. When the soldiers came, you know, to break his leg, they saw that he was dead already. That's in the book of John. I'm sure it is. Um, the evangelist John spoke about it. You know, they saw that he was dead already. They break not his leg so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one bone in him was broken. So when you talk about Christ's death and resurrection, you have a lot of these false cults about the place, you know, who would tell you that Christ didn't really die. You know, he had some sort of fit and he fainted. And when they put him in the, um, the sepulcher, that's the tomb, in the cool, because it was cut out in a rock. So the coolness of the rock, you know, revived him. And therefore, he was able to come out and walk out by himself. I don't know where in scripture you'll find that sort of thing. Socialism. A social gospel that is being preached and people are made to believe that active participation in social and political discussion is the beginning and end of God's way of salvation. Well, you are a person, you know, that is charitable, isn't it? There's an organization here, and we do good. Jesus said we must do good. Feed the hungry, you know, and close those who are naked. And give a shelter, you know, to those who don't have any place to live. But sometimes even you do this to some people, you know, and they don't appreciate it. They don't want it. They may stick around for a day or a week or even a month or two, and then they've gone again. I know for a fact, when I was a young boy at home in Barbados, there was a lady 
school, um, she was very loving and kind, you know, Christian lady. And she would take in any person that didn't have any place to live or go into her house. And there was this young man, you know, um, who she took in. And, you know, he would just saw the young man, he would go and he would sleep, you know, about in shelters all over the, the, um, the district, you know, on the estate, as it were. And, you know, she would take him in and she would clean him up and she would buy nice garb and put him in and feed him. I mean, he used to work all right. But, you know, he was so accustomed to sleeping, you know, in these shelters and in the cane and such like sort of rough life that he would stay for a few weeks, sometimes for a few months, maybe a year or so, and then he's gone again. You know? Uh, so, I mean, um, it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? You know? It is not believing and taking active part in social and political discussion, you know, at the beginning and end of God's way to salvation. No. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ, faith in him, God's grace. You know, that's bestowed upon the individual. Occultism is another thing. The teaching of the supernatural, beyond powers of nature, man, or magical, sorcery, charm, as I said, they call it a Barbados Obia. They look for something new from the spirit world, such as healings and tongues and voices and visions. You know, people could look at you and, you know, you stretch your hand out to them and show you where your lifeline run along and your living line and all sort of line and they tell you, you know, something that you know already is going to happen to you. You're born to die. Man, that's great, isn't it? Ecumenicalism. They want a church worldwide where differences in doctrine are put aside at the expense of truth and to sanction or approve error. You accept something, you know, um, if it's wrong, it's right. If it's right, it may be still right or wrong. You know, some people call wrong right and right wrong. They don't know the um, difference between too. Materialism. To some churches, money is everything. And I should like to think even now, in this present climate of things, I have um, a photo here on my uh, mobile phone where one church in a certain um, country is saying, you know, he's giving out a message loud and clear to um, the Christians any Christian that don't pay the tithes and offerings, you know, into his church, bring it because he need it. He's going to expel him from the church. What a something that is, isn't it? Very nice for him. He isn't interested in the souls of men. He's interested in money. Some churches, you know, they love it. And some of these, um, you know, preachers we see on television, it is nothing else but money. Hence to call it, you know, a... Uh, um, you know, sort of um, gospel that is looking after, you know, not people, but money, finance, finance. Money is the answer to solving the problem of failure and loss of 
power and the higher of more capable and able and better trained persons to carry out the ministry money. The more educated you are, the better you will be able to carry out ministry. I don't know about that. You know, that sort of thing is unbiblical. It's very unbiblical. You see, Saul of Tarsus, he was a well-educated man. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. But what he did, he persecuted God's church. So he didn't use his intelligence, you know, to look after God's people. He was very religious. Huh? He was a zealot, full of zeal, but he was ignorant. Until the Lord Jesus Christ arrested him and changed his life, turn him around and make him into a new creature. Then he was able to see and understand, you know, that his education was taking him down the wrong path. But then when change was wrought in Paul's life, Saul's life rather, and his name was changed from Saul to Paul afterward, he saw things, you know, the way that God would have him to see. He was able to see through the eyes of God, you know, to love people. The Lord sets before the church in Laodicea his dealings in grace and in judgment, yet in love and mercy. He counsels the church to a restoration of spiritual values and also to a restoration of spiritual virtues, values and virtues. Value is that which, which has worth. It's important, you know, to have valuable things. There's nothing wrong, but you mustn't lay, or we mustn't lay our heart upon those things, you know, as though, well, if I don't have those things, God won't accept me, or you wouldn't save me, you wouldn't deliver me, you wouldn't help me. No, that's wrong. Virtue is that which has good quality, moral excellence, you know? The church was in need of spiritual values, such could only be obtained by repentance, so therefore the need to repent, and submission to the Holy Spirit. This church was in need of true righteousness, true living, true uprightness, doing what is right. The Lord also demanded a recovery of spiritual vision. The believer's eyes needed to be anointed with salve in order for them to see. This was ointment for the eyes, man. Worldliness had clouded their spiritual vision. Hence, their spiritual eyes were blinded to spiritual things. In order for them to recapture their spiritual values, their spiritual virtues, and their spiritual vision, they needed to do one thing, simple. And this is what a lot of people don't want to do today, and they wouldn't do. That is to repent, change your mind, change your thinking, change course. You see... God is almighty. God doesn't want anyone to perish. But that everyone just repent. All come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Because he's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to heaven. Christ. This is one of some things that many Christians find hard to do even in our present day situation. Our present day world repent. Some of us find it hard to do. Some of us find it even hard to say sorry. You know? This is what was commanded by our Lord and is still relevant, is very important still today. What are some things some Christians find hard to do? 
forgive, prefer others above themselves, put to death the fleshy deeds, render service to each other, do good to each other, love each other, be submissive to each other, be kind to everybody, you know, put down your prejudices. We all have prejudices, I believe, but when you allow those prejudices to get to rule you, you know, that's where things get out of hand and it goes wrong. Um, I wouldn't tell anybody that I don't have prejudices, of course, but I don't allow those prejudices to rule me. You see, they don't get on top of me. No, God has given me what it takes, his grace and his power to put them aside. We're all tempted, Christian and non-Christian. Every one of us is tempted. But the difference with the Christian, the child of God, you see, you are empowered by God's spirit. God gives you grace and his power to overcome such things. Temptation, you know, sometimes you have to um, keep your mouth shut, as it were, and you know, you have to smile at things, even though it might upset some people, but you have to think before you speak. And this is very important, very necessary. It is believed that the Lord makes a twofold challenge to sinners and saints in the congregation in Laodicea. He stands right outside the door of the church making a request for anyone who hears his knock on the door and opens it as he wanted to take his rightful place inside with them. It is also believed that since this church was so materialistic-minded, there must have been many unsaved members in this congregation. Hence, it is therefore reasonable to apply this text to sinners in the church also. That's present day. The Lord made three promises to those who opens the door of their heart to him. That's verse 20. He said, one, he will enter the believer's heart and make it his own. I will come in. Two, he will take what we give him and bless it. He will multiply it and bless others with it. I will sup with him. Three, he will open heaven to the believer when he opens his heart to Jesus. And he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. What a glorious feeling. What a glorious experience experience it will be, you know? Yes, and that could begin here and now as we look forward to what is in future. The overcomer will be granted the privilege to sit with the Lord on his throne. And this church is urged not only to repent, but also to listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying to them. And you know, when you read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you'll note that at the end almost of each of these seven churches, it ends, sometimes it may be near the end. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. Of course we all have ears. 
but sometimes we don't hear properly. You know? I hope in prayer that as these words come to us, we will think about them, we will give deep thought, we will meditate upon them, we will turn them over in our minds and we will be submissive to the will of God and His Spirit. Father, we thank you for this time that we're able to listen to the ministry of your word and we pray that your Holy Spirit will touch our hearts and our minds and the cracks in our lives will open and the light of your word will shine in in the name of Jesus and strengthen us, Lord, and give us grace in times of testings and temptation that will come away from time to time. Grace will be ours, Lord, and we will use your grace, Father, so that our lives will bring glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. In our next teaching, we are going to look at some prophecy. Some of the things that we are seeing today is in these chapters, from chapters 4 right away through to near to the end of Revelation chapter 22. Some of the things that we're seeing right now happening. Some have already happened and some are happening now and some are happening in future or will happen in future. The Lord bless you.